welcome to... Sh no, it's not French New Wave anymore. What was this one? Oh, Dark Habits. Uh, <laughs> I'm out of our podcast. <laughs> I'll get it right eventually. Yes, this is the first musical episode, which means it's the season debut of a fan favorite a friend of the show, Alexandria. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. We have quite a few musicals planned for this season because we're doing some classic Hollywood, so that means I get to fill in my blind spots. <laughs> and and um, uh, no Joel of uh, this episode, but we have uh, author, Dune superfan, Jane Austen superfan. Um, <laughs> quite, uh, quite a resume, quite a CV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, friend in real life, someone I've met in real life. Which is yes. very rare for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Bo North. Hello. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I knew when I was playing this season, like, this is a movie. It's like, oh, this feels like a Bo movie. And it's a <laughs> musical. So it's like, well, you know. I Alexander mean, I, must be here. I love the theme this season. So I'm, I'm down. <laughs> well, perfect. Well, to start off... Um, I think, like, I can't even remember how I first heard of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Is this one of those things where it's like, I've always known the title, I've always known Diamond's our girl's best friend, I've always known who Marilyn Monroe was, so it's just mm -hmm. always been one of those things like, I can't, like, you know, like, like, uh... Is it osmosis, or... Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, my first exposure to it was the Madonna video, the Material Girl video, where you know they have a sequence where they ape the diamonds are a girl's best friends uh song sequence but i i got some i got into like this era of musical and this era of movie like when i was a teenager at amc and tcm were like still showing nothing but classic movies all day so I think that's was my first real exposure to it. It was just being home during the summer and watch seeing it come on AMC. Yeah, um, Alexandria, what about you? So I kind of fell into this movie, I guess by chance because don't hate me, but I used to hate Marilyn Monroe. She was not an actress I cared about watching, but I was surrounded by people and back in college, back in my undergrad, who were obsessed with Marilyn Monroe. And I had no choice <laughs> to watch. <laughs> it was either this movie or uh, one of the other films that she was in. I forget which one. Um, the one was about like a millionaire. Oh, how, to how, to how to marry a millionaire? millionaire. Yeah, and That's I was an like, "That's an upcoming episode of that movie." I love. I that love movie. that film. But I, it took I me, love that movie a lot. Yeah. I love it. It took me a while though for me to just <laughs> get used to it because I just did not like Marilyn Monroe until like years ago, and I kind of understood like her background and everything, and I really empathized. And there was some things I kind of I had a little bit of common with her, but I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. that changed my mind. And then I, and as you know, I'm marathoning through her films and i'm gonna have just <laughs> loving everything she does and yeah so this movie kind of grew on me and i was surprised at how feminist it was and also mm. um i just approached to role relationships I, I hear a lot today so yeah I, this this film kind of grew on me over time this movie is surprisingly like 
I don't know. It feels like it translates really well to like present day mm-hmm. time at this time and place. I mean, we're still kind of going off about, you know, gold diggers and whatnot. And I don't know. It just felt like it's very fresh and relevant still. Yeah, it is. I was watching it again today and I'm like, I hear a lot of these conversations, especially like between like mothers and daughters. They'll talk mm-hmm. about like whether you should marry a man for his money and should that even be a factor? And um, I know there's something I think about from time to time, and it's like, but where does that line draw between marrying for wealth and being a gold digger? Like, what was, right. like how far does it go? But I'm glad it's cool to see this film tackle such a, a such an idea, and it's still relevant today. Yeah, like uh, going off what you were saying, Alexandria, I didn't like get like the Marilyn Monroe thing for a long time and then I watch How to Marry a Millionaire and I was like oh she was really talented and hilarious and could yeah. sing and do everything it's she had just... really great comedic timing she did she was very smart too well read mm-hmm. yeah, yeah just, she just kind like, of fell into playing like the dumb blonde type of character but she was incredibly smart and yeah, knew just, how to act and just to me like I was surprised like Oh, she was like forced into a shitty role because of society, mm-hmm. and because of that, like it was always sold to me like, oh, she's just some dumb blonde with tits, and that was kind of just how I was like programmed to think of her, basically. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, she's like she's in, like probably one of the most talented movie stars of her era. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she wanted to be taken seriously. Um, like she went to like acting classes. I forget the method acting teacher. I think um, that Yuta Hagen was one of the other famous um, method actors, and she won't study under him. And uh, she wanted to take a craft seriously, but some people just did not believe that yeah. <laughs> until later. Yeah. You know, I was very surprised to see like when this movie was made, she was still under a contract where she was a salaried. Mm-hmm. Worker, so oh. she was only making five hundred dollars a week when this movie came out. Yeah. Whereas Jane Russell was paid, I think they said like two hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So it kind of blows my mind at this point. But I guess at the time she was not as big of a star as she would become. I think that nineteen fifty three, I think, was really her breakout year between yeah. this and How to Marry a Millionaire. Because Jane Russell already had the Outlaw, which has like mm-hmm. the famous mm-hmm. picture that everyone knows. Yeah, like she is already propelled into being a star. Yeah, I think the outlaws the movie I'm thinking of. Uh, the Howard, no, uh, the other Howard, not Hawks. <laughs> H- Hughes. Hughes. There we go. <laughs> there's so many. There's another name. It's like William Wyler, and there's another William Wellman. And I get those two two names mixed up all the time too. Mm-hmm. Easy to conflate. Yeah, too many. My first go-to is Howard Hawks. <laughs> That's like my go-to. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say the Republican one, but it's like, oh, well, they're both really Republican, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, the thing that really stuck out to me with Gentlemen Prefer Blondes this time was uh, clear, it's very obvious, Jacques Demy loved this, loved this movie. Oh, yay. Because um, some of the costumes, like the sparkly dresses, it feels like uh, it's referenced in Young Girls of Rochefort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, some of the music sounds like the music used in Shock to Me musicals. Uh, there are certain moments where it's like, uh, 
it felt like shocked me. It was like, okay, I want uh, Michelle Legrand to make a score sound like this, like this, uh, this part of this movie. And um, there's a part in the beginning where someone says the ship is going to uh, Cherbourg, France, which is like, mm. okay, mm-hmm. w- yeah, which is probably a, 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 a probably um, uh, umbrellas is probably clearly referencing that, that that line or it came from that. I was wondering that too. Like, if there was some, was that a wink and a nod? That's possible. I could, but we can at least see the influences in those movies. Mm-hmm. They certainly have some aesthetic uh, similarities. Yeah, like Jacques Demi was heavily influenced by the musicals at this time, and um, particularly um, *Gentlemen Before Blondes*. And um, yeah, they kind of borrow those type of aesthetics. Because this movie's just absolutely gorgeous. I was yeah, I was heavily taken away by the costumes. Like I didn't mm-hmm. really like before. I was just more like interested in just the characters because I found like the character Lorelli and uh, Dorothy just so outstandingly different from each other, but they bounce <laughs> off each other really, really well. Yeah. And this time around, I'm like the costumes are so great, especially when they're walking into like the dining hall. They're about to have dinner and I meet yes. them for the first time. I love the the sparkling dresses. <laughs> I was like, this is so pretty. <laughs> and, like no one has worn colors like orange and brown the way that they're worn in this movie too. Like I, I love that. They just like something different and unusual and fresh and just completely modern for the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to derail things really, uh, really hard. No, right I now. want to talk about dresses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, sorry. Go, go ahead. <laughs> the part where they go into go to have dinner and one's wearing orange and one's wearing blue mm-hmm. is that is is Dumb and Dumber referencing this movie? Oh my god! Oh my <laughs> that god! Would be <laughs> a lot smarter <laughs> than I give Dumb and Dumber credit for. <laughs> <laughs> but possibly uh, now I have no choice but to look that up right now because <laughs> I, I was not even thinking about that movie at all <laughs> oh my yeah, that, god. No, that absolutely never crossed my mind <laughs> oh. I hate that you brought that up <laughs> like, don't tell me that it did <laughs> I think you've just ruined this movie for two people tonight <laughs> thank you <laughs> well, well at least that shows the fairies have good taste <laughs> right yeah <laughs> And to be fair, that was a very popular movie in the nineties. Let's just be real here. Yeah. yeah. I have to yeah. give it that. <laughs> and Jim Carrey's actually, at the height of his time. <laughs> I was very surprised that uh Edith Head didn't do the costumes for this movie because they're so beautiful. Oh yeah, like the uh like the the fashion like I, I used to not really notice the fashion side of things like this, but ever since uh my partner Mary got me into drag race i noticed this stuff a lot more <laughs> and noticing yeah. the fashion this time I was like holy shit this is a whole nother level yeah yeah this is a very like opulent uh wardrobe i mean they they had so many costume changes yeah like they own everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> they own everything yes <laughs> All right, so um for anyone who hasn't seen this, um, uh, uh, Bo, how would you explain what this movie is? Well, okay. this If I was going to boil it down, I would say this movie is about two best friends uh, trying to make it in the big city. Uh, 
Lorelai is, you know, she she's very goal oriented and Dorothy is just there for a good time. So these are very like but their personalities are sort of completely opposite from their goals. Like Lorelai is very flighty and breathy and romantic and you know, Dorothy is none of those things. Like I said, she is just looking for a good time. So, you know, they they shouldn't work but but they do, as you said, and you know, Dorothy is very or Lorelai is very clear about what she wants. She wants to marry a nice, rich fellow. No shame in it, ladies. Uh, and she's she's bound to do that, except that the nice, rich fellow that she is engaged to is has a uh, dad that holds the purse strings that is less than thrilled with his son's choice of fiance. And, you know, wacky hijinks ensue from there. Alright. Um, have either of you read the book it's based off of? I have not. No, I haven't. No. Who's the author? Um, Anita Luce or Luz. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how which how you say her last name. It's Luce, I Luce. think. I yeah. And she um she wrote also wrote a screenplay for the movie The Women, the George Cukor mm-hmm. uh, comedy. That yeah, we mm-hmm. we did an episode on. It's a uh, movie. It's really funny. I highly recommend it. It's a funny play. Uh, the Women or Joma Fur Blondes? Mm-hmm. Uh, both. Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is this? Uh, I think it's fascinating that there's a a connection between those two movies because there's definitely crossover between the women and uh, and Joma Prefer Blondes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Oh, I was wondering, because I just bought the book on Kindle. Right now, it's on sale for $1. So I figure, oh. well, it's, might as well. So it's only $1 right now. Well, I would have read it and been prepared if I'd known. I didn't even, well, I've been busy <laughs> last few weeks. So I just realized I, I, could, I, could, I could get the book, too. So. I, I had no time whatsoever to read the book. <laughs> but um, no, I'm, I'm glad... Um, I didn't notice that until today either when I watched the film again. I'm like, it's based off of book. Great. Okay. I'm like, I'm about to read it another time. Yeah. Well, this is the era when everything is based off of a book that turned into a play that so it turned so it turned to a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is one of those cases where it's clearly the film it has way more of a stronger legacy than the book, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, because the book is 1925 and the play the play is also like 27 but mm. I, I didn't look up the history of the play whenever i try to look up the history of theater stuff like i i can't really tell how long something's popular for mm. so i must i guess it must have been enough of a name by the 50s to have a movie made yeah it must have been and they you know I don't know. I feel like they were just buying up properties so much in the 30s and 40s that they just must have had such a huge uh, backlog to pull from. It seems like anything that garnered the slightest bit of interest was optioned back then. So like, I guess the Broadway play came first and then um, then the film was being made. So there must have been, yeah, it must have been some time. It got a lot of popularity. Probably due to the Broadway play. Yeah. Because it, it uh, actually, uh, catching back to your first episode, Alexandria, the mm-hmm. play and the book came out at the same time. Chicago was originally written uh, as a play. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. Chicago was like 1926 or 25. I think so. 
Yeah. Um, and like the first movie yeah. was like late a couple years after that. And like the the famous one everyone knows the 2002 one is like the fourth movie version mm-hmm. of the play, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but that one like really boosted its um popularity. But the, the but it's been like a famous play like for so long. Yeah. yeah. You know before the film. So I think like it's one of those cases where like like the the Broadway play more than likely will be way more popular than the book will ever be, and then then <laughs> any film based off of that Broadway play is will get will like get the most attention, you know, film wise. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it's easy for a lot of books to be overshadowed by their movie counterparts. <laughs> I mean, like one of my favorite movies is The Godfather, but the book is not very good. So the only yeah. film, the only <laughs> film adaptation that doesn't really overshadow the book would be Lord of the Rings, because that's like mm-hmm. that was a solid book series, and like mm-hmm. that's the one book series that everyone wants to see be continue to be made and just expanded on, you know, because the world building was so good. But mm-hmm. uh, like the films are great, and we'll always remember that. But people will still buy the Lord of the Rings and still read um, J.K. Um, uh, Tolkien's words. <clears throat> oh, same thing with the Harry Potter series. <laughs> Another thing about it. <laughs> Same case. <laughs> but I think because there's a Broadway play, you know, sometimes the play would just take some more precedent over the book. Um, if it's based off a novel, per se. Because the, the book could, could be referenced to the play itself. We can only hope that the Avengers musical will be more popular <laughs> than the Avengers movie. It'll make a billion dollars. That's just screams Spider-Man, uh, the failed Spider-Man musical. Like, that's just turn off the dark or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> the only thing that came, the only good thing that came out of that musical was the song from Reef Carnegie. And I don't I even love. remember the song. Didn't have you two do all the music? Who did all the music for that? I don't know. I don't think he. I'm not sure if he did all the singing for it. But I just know, like that was like one pe- one song I was obsessed with. And I'm like, at least someone survived that. That that's that's great. <laughs> I mean, flowers can go grow out of shit. That's for sure. <laughs> that's one way to put it. So uh, earlier, you two mentioned this movie is very a feminist and have its time. And mm. uh, mm-hmm. uh, can you elaborate on that? I definitely saw themes of that, but uh, I'm curious what you guys thought on that. Yeah, uh, do you want to um, take this one? Sure. Um, I just noticed like that's a, a conversation I've heard, like especially online in these like like we have like yeah, it has a, a feminist movement still like I guess like a fourth wave but there's also mm-hmm. like this movement about femininity and how to kind of like work with that energy in regards to dating so it kind of plays to gender roles a little bit like what the masculine is supposed to do or if you mm-hmm. want to tie gender into it even though masculine femininity is something that we all have it's just like we tie masculinity to men so much so we kind of ask like, okay what is a man supposed to do in terms of dating and then mm-hmm. what is a woman supposed to do in terms of dating? But I like to say both of us just masculine and feminine, regardless of how you identify. So when you think about that in terms of how masculinity should work, it provides, right? So when you think about L'Oreal, she's talking about um, money and having wealth in terms of her being able to afford her lifestyle. So you have mm-hmm. those conversations today, should a man have a job first before he dates? Or should, a, <laughs> should a woman be seeking a man uh, who has a certain amount of money? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be rich, but well enough, he's well enough to take care of her. 
Yeah, it seems to be putting them more on equal footing. Yeah. And then, like, on the other side, um, Marilyn Monroe's character is kind of, like, lack of a better term, like, almost the ideal in a sense of how flirty she is, how fun she is. And yeah, she's still very intelligent. You show that you see that in the film as well. Like she even knows she thinks the man thinks she's dumb, but she knows she's not. Um, this is a really good line in the film. She goes, she asks, uh, I think it was um, her fiance's dad. You know, um, it's okay for a man to think a, a woman is pretty, but obviously she brings more to the table. But it doesn't hurt, right? So why is it wrong for me to ask of like how much money do you have? <laughs> you know, I love your son. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be real here. <laughs> I would also too um, add that Dorothy's character is very like I, she's horny. She's very sex positive. She's not afraid mm-hmm. to go after what she wants and. You know, she's pretty unapologetic in her her sexuality. And that's one thing that's pretty refreshing to see from, you know, a movie from 1953 is a, a girl going after what she wants, which is, mm-hmm. you know, not a long time, but a good time. I love how honest she is. She's like, yeah, like totally. a man is good looking and fit. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, again, she's like, oh, a there's a whole Olympic gymnastics team on this boat? Excellent. <laughs> oh, my God. That scene is ridiculous because the scene where they're at the the swimming pool, that was an mm-hmm. accident. Because she was supposed of to the... fall in there. <laughs> oh, I was All of those shorts, too, had to be flesh toned. Yeah. So I it just, just looks that. like they're all naked. It's very strange. It's very I to horny. Pause the movie <laughs> to, to, to take a notice of that. So I thought they were nude. Yeah, I was like why? Wait, like hold on, what? And, I and she's like, wearing that like power jumpsuit. It's just a very good scene. Oh, good point. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the costumes were like, great in this, and yeah, like, I, the personalities I, too. Yeah, like, I knew, first knew this movie because the gif of Jane Russell look at look at the muscle, and so like I thought this movie. <laughs> so like that. So I thought the whole movie was like okay, it's just her like being horny or whatever. And but I was surprised like oh, there's there's more to it than than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but uh, she's but the like, only one that is not about money, and that's the other right. side of the argument, which I thought was really well done. In this film, is like I'm not here just for his money. I do want someone who's you know gonna match with my energy and you know, yeah, uh, cater to me as well. But there's more to more to that than just his money. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what what what. What works for you guys in this movie? Like, what uh, what are your favorite things in this that we haven't brought up yet? I mean, for me, the dynamic between Lorelai and Dorothy is so good. Like, their rep- their repartee is just, like, so snappy. Their dialogue is so good. They just riff off of each other so well. And they're both so funny. I love her sarcasm. Dorothy's mm. sarcasm is like helped me like appreciate this film even more. How quick witted she is, and the scene where she's pretending to be her friend. <laughs> Honestly, I at first I didn't believe hilarious, it, but it was so, so hilarious. It is so well written. <laughs> like she just, just changes her voice off and on. <laughs> she's so over the top too, you know, just with the breathy voice. It's very funny. (laughs) But that's like a real best friend dynamic. Like, you know your friends Mm -hmm. so well. You know exactly what to exaggerate if it need be. (laughs) And uh, also that little bit when she's communicating to the guy at the 
she ends up in being interested in, like how mm. she does love him back. And I thought that was very beautifully well done. And like he was like, oh, okay, I see. What you mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, I'll She's let you like, go. <laughs> if you say another word, <laughs> he's, he's so gone for her as well. <laughs> it was very clever. <laughs> it, it was. <laughs> And really, so much of this movie is just, like, it's really clever. It's really smart. The only thing that doesn't really work for me is some of, like, some of the musical numbers might go on a little long for my taste, but that's just me. I mean, I like a short, snappy number, and we're on to the next scene, but... uh, Everything about it is like it's beautiful. It's beautifully choreographed. It's beautifully set. I love all the scenes on the boat. I love all the scenes in Paris. It's just absolutely gorgeous. I did wish we had more scenes of them as showgirls, though. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like how it just begins with them on stage. It and does it really? I mean, of course we have them singing throughout the film, but I wanted to see more mm-hmm. of them as like performers and kind of got an idea mm-hmm. of what they did. Um, also, the bit about Piggy, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that the anaconda and the goat <laughs> anecdote yeah. is really good. I'm just like, sir, come on, you know she wants a tiara. Please tell me you know she wants a tiara. Like, don't, you can't be this du- Okay. <laughs> You're charmed the, by her, by Marilyn Monroe. Anyone would be charmed. <laughs> that scene at the end where they get they hand the tiara to the judge and it just makes its way back to Piggy is so funny. <laughs> All that fuss. <laughs> it almost didn't work for me at one point because I was like, are you serious? They just passed that thing around like, just in a circle? But then I'm like, oh, Oh, okay, the friends pretend to be her friend. She tells the guy, okay, got it. This was clever. It just kind of built up for real over time. But yeah, the piggy character was just like, really, sir? <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the kid, the kid. In the oh film, my God. Like, the kid, the I thought it was heir. funny that he just showed up at the dinner table. Like, we just didn't expect a child. But then he, I felt like he overstayed his welcome, okay? Like, when Marilyn Monroe's outside the window and he's stopping at the her, I'm like, kid, go, please. <laughs> You're not an adult. Let's just know. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I see you have this animal magnetism I'm like sir no <laughs> that kid had some creepy adult energy i'll he say did. that I I, the dialogue made me cringe and i was like oh remove the child it was funny at first now it's not in 1953 you could get away with a child saying animal magnetism <laughs> yeah it's like the, the dialogue back then was really questionable <laughs> it worked until it didn't let's <laughs> all say that but other than that, this film is just enjoyable. It's just so very clever. It's just very witty. And I, I, I like Jane's, um, just her delivery. I loved, I just loved every bit of her character. Yeah. I really, um, like the, this time watching, I didn't notice like all the sex jokes. And, <laughs> and uh, like now, now I'm more attuned to like the screwball comedy tone and like speed and all that. So now it's like, oh, this is a very pervy movie and i didn't even (laughs) notice it the first time through it is it really is it's very pervy (laughs) everyone's horny in this movie it's wild it it really is and i love it for it there's the the scene in the beginning where the girls are singing with all the the olympic team for the first Mm -hmm. time and then they move then they go to the back of this guy 
the the guys and there are other women there and I'm all like, wait, are those your wives or girlfriends? Like you just <laughs> but you're flirting with Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> well, everyone could get it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, like, like it generally kick in until uh, there's a line. Um, one of the Olympic divers guy says like, uh, "Those girls won't float," which I didn't pick up on. I was like. Oh, it's, it's a poop joke. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and then, like, uh, I think the first one that really cracked me up was um, uh, Lorelai saying, like, his pocket was bulging. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that joke. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I heard, heard that you ever It was just too funny. I was like, <laughs> And then, like, I was, well, with the uh, Lorelai character, I love that there's a sudden switch when I first, I want to get on the boat, and uh, she's talking to, um, she calls him daddy the whole time. What's the guy's yeah. name? Uh, Gus, her fiance. Gus. Yeah, Gus. And, and, and she goes from being, like, kind of like the, the ditzy blonde into being like, well, my friend's very dumb. She just likes uh, hot guys. But I have to be here for her so she so she doesn't get hurt. And it's like, oh, she's really smart too. Yeah, yeah. I think that that both of those are those are two friends that think that they're the smart one in the relationship, and they're both <laughs> smart but in different ways. Yeah, I noticed that like with Marilyn Monroe, she just loves like she plays out the flirty factor until she can't do it, and she has to like she can use it to her benefit. I'll say that she can definitely yeah. use it to her benefit. Because the whole tiara thing was like so manipulative. I was like, girlfriend, tiara. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have Dorothy, who just doesn't want to, um, I guess, kind of lean into her friend's charms in a sense. Like she doesn't, like she doesn't want to utilize those qualities. She's kind of wants to be straightforward yeah. to the point. And they, like they say, like, they're both strengths and weaknesses, and like they could use them for good and for bad. And they have their plus and minuses, and it's just. That makes them all like well-rounded characters, I think. Yeah, they like you said earlier, they really balance each other out really well. Yeah, and they're both incredibly smart, intelligent, and beautiful. It's just like I just love how they just bounce off each other with their own energy. It's just it's funny. Yeah. So uh, before we start recording, you guys mentioned you like the other musicals of the era. Also, like, so how are this? Uh, c- uh, compared to like the other musicals around this time for you two i mean the music in this one for me personally was not my favorite like i mean obviously diamonds are girl's best friend is an ac- iconic song and it's great um but it was kind of like the best song of the movie um for for me personally and like I I like a certain kind of musical, and usually this falls under that umbrella. But the songs just really didn't catch me the way they do in other musicals. Yeah, same with me. It's not. It's not. This would not be like my go-to musical if I really wanted to watch a musical. Because mm-hmm. like I feel like it's like it only has like one or two great numbers for me. I like the song in the beginning, especially when they're singing mm-hmm. the with the Olympic team in the beginning, and then mm-hmm. um, Diamonds Are Girls' Best Friend. But it's uh, compared to like MGM style, or like you know, like, I like the King and I, and then mm. or Singing in the Rain. Uh, like those are really good. But um, yeah, like yeah, Gentleman Before Blonde doesn't really pop up in my head automatically when people ask me what kind of musicals do I like. It doesn't pop up as much because there's not that many songs that are that memorable, except for yeah. those two. 
Yeah, I like. I'm not sure I like this movie. It definitely is not my favorite, uh, like classic musical that I, that I've seen. It's more the super famous parts are are, are great, but mm-hmm. it's I don't know. It's like it feels kind of uneven. Like towards the end, it, it meanders a little bit. Not not too mm-hmm. much, but just mm-hmm. a little bit for me. Where I know it's like. Uh, can we get funny again? This is getting a little too serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think we all. I think we all kind of felt separately. Yeah. yeah. So, like when like when the court started getting involved, I'm like, wait, hold on, this is kind of dark. <laughs> it's just a yeah, TR. <laughs> I was texting my group chat at the time when I was watching it. And I was like. Oh, it's you know, they're like, what are you doing? I said nothing, just watching Jane Russell make a mockery of the French judicial system. Iconic. A cab, right? <laughs> and the judge was just over it. Yeah, the judge was just <laughs> you want to fire everybody and just go. He could have been an arraignment judge on Law and Order. That's how cranky he was. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, like Jane and the, the judge made that scene better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just like the moment when um the the first when the I forgot to guy is guy's like I think I recognize you and she just shows her leg and then <laughs> completely changes the tone. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's a it's a horny movie. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. So uh so, uh, hmm. uh, I guess we kind of got to it. Like, what doesn't work in this movie for you guys? Well, I mean, I think that the co-stars are kind of boring. Like, mm-hmm. the, the male leads. And granted, I like this movie because it's not all about the male leads. It's mm. much more focused on the two female leads. But And sorry for being so binary in my language. That's just the way this movie was made. But, you know, it's... it's I don't know. It's it, the, the other characters are very cardboard and very much fall to the background in, in comparison with Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe. <clears throat> no, I... Um... Same thing. Like it's, there was some like the the dialogue, but from the male characters didn't sit well with me. Um, and yeah, they weren't as interesting. I I was I mentioned like the piggy character and the mm-hmm. kid, and I was yeah a lot of that just like okay, um, more so the kid than I think is the main character because I guess it had some type of purpose. But the kid was like we could let that we we could have cut that out. But yeah, it was nineteen fifties. Yeah. But you know what could we do and. I wasn't so enthralled by the Gus character. He kind of annoyed me. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess part of it is because, like, you know, his father is super strict, and so he's trying to cater to his father at the same time, you know, go after him with the woman that he loves. But then when he gets to the point where she's saying, Daddy, and then I'm like, what is this dynamic right now? <laughs> <laughs> That's just one of those weird languages and i hear relationships like why do women have to call men daddy and like this is so that i get to this little 
semi little rant about why the language should be I've, shaved. I'm just like, this is not okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've been with my partner for 17 years and I have never called him daddy. I had an excellent, like, I'm gonna, I'm literally gonna admit this right now. I had an ex like, try to give it a say and I'm like, no, dude, you're not gonna, no, that's a no. <laughs> I'm <laughs> older than you. Yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you are not my dad and that's not something I want to get into right now. No, this is not it. So, like, that's like the screams daddy issues to me. And then, um, yeah, so that type of the language in the film didn't really Sir, well I'm me. in my 40s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the daddy thing kind of, I don't say it creeps me out. I just don't, I just don't care for it. I did Different time. Like, I did like the, the male counterpart for Dorothy. I thought he was interesting, but I wish they kind of gave him more to do. Yeah, I felt like it was just more like, "Oh, I love you. Please believe me." And I'm all like, oh, "Okay, <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not one of those guys. I promise." I was like, "Okay, then one of those ca- types of characters." But um, I thought, but I thought he was interesting in terms of him just trying to prove himself to Dorothy, and he did. He was very sincere because I could have. That's a dynamic that could have gone wrong. Mm. Yeah. yeah, like, like, like their their relationship just feels very much like. You've seen a musical before, haven't you? You know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> There's one thing about musicals. Um, everyone's going to get what they want. So, like, the good people get, all the good people, quote unquote, are going to get what they yeah. want. And then all the bad people are going to be put away. Right. <laughs> it's like, so we knew how this was going to end. <laughs> but I just felt like their dynamic was a bit more realistic. How she did not like him at first. And then it's like, okay. Uh, it felt more natural. Yeah. Yeah. Something like we was used to saying. Whereas, um, yeah, like Marilyn Monroe's character, she's just fun. Like, that's the kind of fun energy. And I kind of be like. She knew what she was getting into. <laughs> yeah. And she knew what she wanted. She just yeah. used her charms to get in. Sometimes that's very fascinating to watch some women do that. And it's just like. There are women who do that, but this is really interesting <laughs> what they can get away with. It's like, wow. <laughs> but it, I think both characters are believable, but the male characters were a bit questionable when the dialogue didn't sit well with me. Um, yeah, fully. totally mm-hmm. agree. Yeah. Like, to, like watching this. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the kid was charming enough. <laughs> but just charming. A ringing endorsement. <laughs> the, the kid, the kid was funny when he appeared, but then he just kept talking. Then when he said animal magnetism, I'm like, okay, you need to go. <laughs> <laughs> but seeing him trying to help Marilyn Monroe out the window was hilarious. That, that's, yeah, that's funny. that wasn't bad. That was pretty good. Yeah, it's just the dialogue yeah. you say. I acted like, okay, you're a little too adult for me. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what was I? was uh, I just had it and forgot it. Oh, I remember. Like mm-hmm. this feels like a live action cartoon down to f- down to like there are cartoon sound effects every so often. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that it's really like season up. six of Thirty Rock, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> that the one where they were tanking the show. Yeah, and just everything was very... Every episode of, like, the last two seasons of 30 Rock just became a live-action cartoon. Yeah, I, I think there's a reason I probably don't remember those very much. <laughs> uh, uh, Mary started going through the first season a little bit early, mm. a few weeks ago, and uh, got to the... What was it? The episode where Dennis 
gets caught on <laughs> to catch a predator. Oh yeah. And, I, and there's a really brilliant moment earlier in the episode where he says that Jack on uh, Jack uh, Donahue like sometimes they say they're 22 but they're 16 and then yeah. having that come back at the end was like oh that's really smart writing <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you ever do a 30 rock show just let me know uh probably not <laughs> yeah uh, but uh yeah but like the live action cartoon stuff down to like whenever um uh Marilyn Monroe would kiss Gus he had to get this like cartoon sound effects like birds. like he's like like <laughs> birds and um there are some other ones i remember but it's like it, it's it felt like it really leaned into like a looney tunes direction but not <laughs> yeah. that much into a looney tunes direction where it's like it could have gone a little a little more cartoony in my t- in my uh, opinion sure it was very <laughs> cartoony like i had to like again this one is most of the Rewind at the rewind and listen intently. Is that just hear what I just heard? It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like the birds with the swirling, like he's like, you know, so overwhelmed by Vegas by Marilyn Monroe, which I totally understand, but just, it was very, it was a little bit too cartoonish. I think the, the most and, relatable thing about him, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's one weird joke that like this felt. That uh, I know why why it's there, but like it didn't really organically fit. It's uh, when they first get to the room, and Lorelai is just bouncing on the bed, and Gus says, "Stop! Mm-hmm. You're, stop! It's distracting." <laughs> Which like there's there's no setup or anything. It's just like she's just just decided to <laughs> bounce on the bed. <laughs> I thought that was cute. <laughs> I thought it was cute too. <laughs> <laughs> like just sit down a minute. <laughs> She's like, oh, it's so bouncy. But even I was also like, that bed is super bouncy. Is it a water bed? Is it like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, it's gonna kill your back, right? <laughs> I keep hearing a weird noise from like the basement in my building, but I don't know what it is. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, I can clear it here from. Okay. It might be the teen smoking weed or something. Ah. As teens do. Yeah. Uh, Luckily, you're not playing music this time. Because when you play music, (laughs) the the animals hate it. Ah. It's very annoying. Anyway, so... um, Oh, okay. I wanted to get into uh, some of the the musical sequences. Some of the musical numbers. Mm. In the... The one with the um, Olympic team, the way it starts, like it, there's a slow build up, and you see, you just see one of them, and in the camera, it's a one uh, one camera movement going diagonally down. Alexander, mm-hmm. you know you know movie terms better than me, but um, <laughs> yeah. it's going diagonally down, and you can see one guy, and it, it builds up more, and you see two of them, and you see more. It's like the way it's structured and edited yeah. is really clever. Yeah, it's a. It. I want to say it's kind of like a pan and like a little tilt in the beginning, like with like one, one Olympic member. Then it goes to like two shot, and then just keeps building. Which there's so many of them. <laughs> it gets so elaborate. It is, but I, I think. But I think it was Dorothy singing that song. So she. It's. It kind of attests to her. Like she has a lot of options, and she enjoys mm. being around a lot of men. And yeah, I thought those. I thought it was a cute number. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And there are there are parts where um, 
there's a, one part where in the background you see the guy on, on punching a bag and she goes to the guy to punch a bag and then you see behind her the guy um lifting weights and she goes to the guy lifting weights and it's like there's a, like fun stuff like that where it's like it's it's telegraphing you like what what's going to happen what the routine is and it's like really it's really nice yeah I think it's a fun song just to see her like enjoy like a male's physique. Like <laughs> she's just she's so open and honest. It's unabashed. I love yeah. it too. It's just like I'm appreciating the these male physiques. But also it's it the, I think that ties in again to like the feminist ideal and it's like if men can do that to women, then yeah. let a woman do that as well. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, there's a good amount of female gaze in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which like which shows like how good Howard Hawks was because like I've seen his other movies and he's made a lot of movies but I've seen some of the other movies it's like I would not expect him to make a musical like this mm-hmm. like I'm not sure if you guys have seen Rio Bravo the John I, Wayne movie I, I saw it a long time ago my dad is a big western fan oh, I'm a big western guy now since I, as I've gotten older I've gotten more into westerns but uh I like the like the dad grandpa ones the most mm-hmm. <laughs> personally. <laughs> I don't agree with them politically, but I just <laughs> something about watching like a John Wayne movie is like this is comforting. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, look, I, I don't get it either, Bo. All right. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying no. I have enjoyed several westerns in my time. I, I'm not a huge western fan. I'm very picky <laughs> when it comes to westerns. So, no, but, but I. Uh, I tried oh. watching. I can't get through John Wayne. I can't get through a lot of it. If yeah, <laughs> no. I'm very picky. But I'll take yeah. like the Coen Brothers and things like mm. that, like those western type of styles. That's fine. But like yeah, old but, westerns, no. <laughs> no. But anyway, uh, Rio Bravo was the um, the the conservative response to uh, High Noon because um, Howard Hawks and John Wayne thought uh, High Noon was a little too leftist and a little too like. <laughs> You're asking the community for help? A man <laughs> is asking other people for help? What, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and so they made the, the Republican response to it. It was Rio Bravo, which is a hyper-masculine, uh, like, it, it's super conservative, and I and it's I don't agree with the politics, but it's a, a great hangout movie <laughs> That where I'm like, this is awesome, but I hate the politics of this. <laughs> is that the one? Does it have Dean Martin or Jimmy Stewart? Or Dean one Martin. of them? Okay. It's what um, Assault on Precinct 13 is loosely inspired by. Ah. Like the last <laughs> oh, the last half hour of Assault on Precinct No, last half hour of Rio Bravo is what Assault on Precinct 13 is. Mm. Which uh, if you have if everyone hasn't seen that movie, that Assault on Precinct 13 is the one where uh, Kim Richards gets shot in the chest on screen. Mm. I think it's in the chest. Anyway, it's the one where um, the John Carpenter movie where a kid dies. And oh. He never, and he never did it again because I think he started having kids. <laughs> at, at oh, sure. Yeah. Anyway, so like, so stuff like Rio Bravo and like some other Howard Hawks movies where it's like, I would never expected Howard Hawks of all people to make a musical like this and have a sequence like the one with the Olympic team. It just, <laughs> it just kind of like blows my mind a little <laughs> bit. That Defies like, like, logic. Actually, 
he actually Howard Hawks didn't do the musical numbers. He wasn't oh, musical okay. them. Yeah. He had no it said a, there's a quote um that I found and because it was in a confirm he actually confirmed it in an interview mm-hmm. with an author and he said, I did a musical called Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and I didn't do the production numbers. I didn't have any desire to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um I think it was also um Jane Russell and also mm-hmm. another chore- uh, choreographer did the. Um, no, sorry. Um, Russell actually confirmed that it was a- another choreographer that did Diamonds as a Girl Best Friend. I think so. it was. Um, uh, was it the choreographer? Verdon. Verdon, yeah, Gwen Verdon. Mm hmm. Uh. There's a couple okay. choreographers mentioned in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, yeah. Gwen, Gwen Verdon and then another choreographer. So, but Howard Hawks had nothing to do with the production of this. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, he was probably pretty hands off making this one. He's like, this is yeah. not my thing, but here we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've got alimony. <laughs> and I have Marilyn Monroe, I... so we're good. We got a hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he is one of the ones with the, with the eye patch. A lot, all those guys had eye patches for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I want to say, first, that, I guess I, I don't know. I hmm? get, I think so because I don't know if you guys have seen the Fablemans. Have you seen that movie? Uh, I haven't. Yet. No, he does sound like a guy who would wear an eye patch. And I don't remember if that was in the film or not. Because <laughs> I keep thinking about he has to have an eye patch or something. Is it uh, David Lynch? <laughs> Um, like John. Oh, I don't Ford? like to tell people that. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to tell people that because that was a surprise. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> it was it was spoiled for me a while ago. I kind of actually I remember it was talked about like David Lynch was going to be in the film, but didn't say the role until I saw the film, and I'm like, that voice sounds so freaking familiar. <laughs> like then he hard to mistake that voice. <laughs> then he took off the eyeglasses. I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's worth seeing people, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I think um, when it was first announced, Martin Kessler said, it's kind of fucked up if you have, um, uh, who played your dad? Uh, Paul Dano? Paul Dano. Yeah, if you, have, if you have Paul Dano play your dad, because you're saying your dad is, is a punch, has a punchful face. <laughs> <laughs> Paul He's Dano so found dead in a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You feel bad for that man, though, in the movie. I, I, I'm not going to lie. It's, it sucks. <laughs> he goes through it. He goes through it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Anything? Uh, I don't have really anything else, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, this movie is available. Well, do you guys have any final thoughts? Anything you guys want to uh, um, get into? I just want to add, he did do His Girl Friday, right? Uh, Howard, Hawks. Howard Hawks? Yeah. He, he, yes, he made did. a lot of movies. Yes, he did. He totally did. Okay. Yeah. It just kind of makes sense that he would do Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Because that, I mean, His Girl Friday, I want to say like completely <laughs> feminist per se, but I think it, pers- it just showed like women in their power in a sense. So I can kind of mm-hmm. see it. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was a, a studio guy. So it was like, you know, uh, he was given a project and he would make it. Yeah. You knew what you were getting. Um, any final thoughts I had? This movie's just super fun. Yeah, and yeah. if yeah, and if anyone's um, uh, listening and they're still iffy on Marilyn Monroe, 
th- I think this uh, might be a thing that will change her mind on her. Yeah, if you're, if this is a great her. performance from her. I think this would be one of them. Because I kind of want to say how to um, how to marry a millionaire might be another one that can win people over with Marilyn. I agree. But it really depends on your taste. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah. But this one was fun. I'll, I'll give it that. Yeah. And um, I forgot where it hurts. I think maybe it was when Jinx Monsoon was on Horror Queers. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they talked about Marilyn Monroe. Like it, it basically her, her her persona was like a drag persona a drag performance mm-hmm. and watching this movie is like oh i know exactly what they're talking about now yeah mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's just like another way to like analyze it kind of like the role she was forced into yeah i'll say it's a good introduction to her if you've never seen yeah. her on film yeah mm-hmm. and uh so yeah it's available everywhere it's super famous it's not gonna I don't. I don't think it's gonna go away anytime soon. <laughs> I hope not. You can watch it on YouTube for free, actually. Um, sometimes they're hard to find on Hulu. They weren't available in a lot of streaming services until recently. Probably because we got all the biopics we've they've been for lately. But you can catch it on YouTube right now for free. Did you two see Blonde? Yes. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Is Blonde <laughs> good? Um, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is a big question. (laughs) Okay, there's a couple reasons why I had to see it, because my editing teacher saw it, and he liked how the the trailer was cut, and so we kind of talked about that in a way. The editing is interesting, it's fine. Mm Story-wise, it's very much exploitive, and Mm -hmm. it's based off a book, um, yeah, a novel. Yeah, and um, it kind of makes me wonder: Do you want to want to blame the director or the author? The, I mean, either way, it's a pretty exploitive way to talk about this woman's life and all that she endured. So, yeah, I, mean, I mean, if I you've guess... seen exploitation films, well, you might as well add this one to your category. If you add them to your roster, if you want to see it, Anna Anna De Armas is fantastic in it, though. I'll give her that. She got her. She got Marilyn Monroe's vulnerability down. I think. Hmm. And uh, yeah. yeah, just a lot of it's like very, it's hard to get through. It's pretty tough. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's this, like, like watching a movie like Dream of Provence or How I Married a Millionaire is like, you see just how talented she was, and then you learn about her life more, and you're like, man, is, she, yeah, it's, it's just so fucked up that she was just treated so shittily by basically everyone. Everyone, yeah, yeah, she was very mishandled and not treated well at all. If you see Blonde, you're going to be even more upset. If you already know yeah. her story and you see Blonde, you're going to be ten times more upset. And even even now, still, like, the, the Kim Kardashian thing with the dress, it's like, that that's, a, that, that's a national, like, art, <laughs> cultural artifact that you ruined because that can't be recreated. Yeah. The, like, yeah. the material does not exist anymore. It, it, this is interesting because Blonde was written by Joyce Carol Oates. And then we also had Kim Kardashian just destroy her dress. And it's like, it's not just men exploiting her, but women as well, in a sense. Like, wanting to be her and do and just get a hold of whatever aspect of her they want to recreate or anything like that. I think she's just... very upsetting. Yeah, she's just such a part of our pop culture identity 
that I feel like a lot of like not just you know men and women but like studios directors whatever like people that create content sort of feel like they have some kind of ownership uh, of her and her image and that's kind of a that's like a bigger conversation about like who owns your image who owns your likeness I kind of I kind of think about Marilyn Monroe that there are moments where she did talk about you know she you know she is Marilyn Monroe because like some of it is part of the attention that she receives from men you know they like that Mm -hmm. fantasy and so I've seen like she I guess she got caught you know being her true self and being the ideal you know Mm -hmm. and that's that ideal that she puts out there yeah like everyone kind of wants a piece of that you know it's fairly upsetting and in terms regarding to blonde that's why i keep thinking it's like yeah the the movie itself is very questionable but then i haven't read the book uh, i'll say that but if the film is based off that book is the book just as exploitive that from what i understand it is yeah then it's i mean it's twofold here is that just yeah i feel i think the director got a lot of the heat um, mm-hmm. When it yeah. came out, and I don't think that's fair. I think the I mean, author you could you, you could say the too. director didn't investigate the source material enough. Also, well, the, the author liked liked the film. She liked the mm-hmm. film, and uh, she was mm-hmm. the one defending it. And so mm-hmm. it's, she's it's, not exactly <laughs> she's not exactly anyone we need to listen to. Anyway, she <laughs> puts her foot in her mouth enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll just say if you're gonna, I'll say if anything, there's other things you can watch about Marilyn Monroe. Watch her films. Watch yeah. a really good documentary that's honest and true. Anything a scandal, just be careful of that, particularly a blonde. Yeah, you, you, I, that's I, very upsetting. Like, yeah, like here that makes me think of like Twelve Years a Slave, which, if you know about the history of how the book was written, you know that uh, uh, Solomon Northup was illiterate and he had uh, someone write it for him. He told he um, dictated it to someone, but mm-hmm. the person in- inserted a bunch of like christian stuff in it that wasn't Mm. uh, according to some sources not like a part of the original what actually happened to him Mm -hmm. and so the movie didn't really investigate that stuff enough and the movie still has some that like overt christian messaging in it that if that like when you look into the history of book you just go like okay well this was kind of uh taken away from Solomon Northup and like his true story wasn't actually truly told in the movie mm-hmm. doesn't really invest like that enough it, it sticks closer to the book and Fair it's point. kind of yeah i recommend yeah, the I book think, I think it's, no go ahead <clears throat> oh I, I recommend the book it's just you should if you do read you should know like it's kind of tainted by secondhand uh opinions on on certain stuff mm-hmm yeah, I was just thinking, like, I seen 12 Years a Slave only one time, but I think with mm-hmm. that film, it was more so of, a, of giving audiences a glimpse of what slavery was and uh, how brutal it was, because I can't really think of any other film that depicted, at the time, you know, um, mm-hmm. the slavery down in the South. And I think that was the... the the key thing we got that film, regardless of how mm-hmm. the story was written, because I don't remember, I, mean, I probably blocked it out, but I don't really remember much of the Christian <laughs> messaging, but that kind of, you know, when you think about, you know, black people and religion, Christianity usually comes in the forefront anyway, and that, that could be yeah. a discussion of its own. So, but that's just my thing about 12 Years a Slave. I think we're more concerned about how slavery was being depicted and the people understood how brutal that was. And Yeah. 
Yeah, I still yeah. recommend that film. I mean, it's just again, idea. I mean, you're never, you're never gonna understand how brutal and how cruel that was. There's yeah, so much yeah. more to that. Um, that's never been shown on screen that people yeah, it, would not be able to understand. It's the one slavery movie where I don't cringe at the the tryhard ness of it, or some mm. of it, some of those can get really uh, not great. Yeah, and um, that's the only one where it's like what's well, based off like a a memoir. It's like okay, I, I got key. It's res- this one is respectable, unlike some other ones I won't get into. Yeah, <laughs> I think with that story compared to Blonde, whereas I think Joyce Carol Oates r- took her story and just took any type of rumor that was out there about her and then added as if it was part of a story. And it's like, oh, this is like a reimagining. It's like, no one asked you to reimagine this woman's life. Like, like Joy- come on now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Joyce Carol Oates has always written, like, very sensationally. So it's it wasn't a very big surprise okay. yeah, that she honest, would do read, that. I think I only read one story from her, but I've, you know, I'm not a huge fan. I just thought that was a really interesting conversation to hear people talk about this film. Mm-hmm. And- She's pretty overrated. <laughs> between I, you and me <laughs> no she is I, I have no choice but to see her name in the library every single time which i find an author but like damn she has so many books <laughs> I can't find out what i'm looking for <laughs> no shade to that that's fine she's an author i'm just saying i thought that was like when you talk about marilyn monroe and how she's being pulled apart it's just like uh that book probably had a hand in that so yeah. i think it's worth discussing and i think if you are going to see the film just brace yourself it's um mm. harsh really sad mm. stuff and some of it looks ridiculous too just aesthetically stupid but <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah but anna darmus is great I was, if you want to see it see it for her i think she did a great job um out of all the roles she played i think she did a fantastic job in this one mm. that's what i keep hearing about it yeah uh, she <laughs> she really gave you an idea of how vulnerable marilyn monroe was back in those days and how she was just being pulled apart and being forced to do a lot of stuff and both in her professional and personal life. And I thought she captured that vulnerability and sensitivity um, very well. Very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's oh, and that's... Robbie, Robbie uh, Cavanaugh, he's in that too. I, that's... I think he plays one of her exes. Joe DiMaggio. Oh, the mm. baseball one? Mm-hmm. Bobby Cavanaugh. <laughs> yeah, he plays. He's in that film as well. I think he did a good job, too. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was on Netflix, so that means uh, I'm going to go through Netflix. My first thing is, well, I have to watch I Think You Should Leave for the 20th time. So. <laughs> <laughs> what is it with, you, with that show? It's what show? Perfect. I, I Think, think You, you Should, should Leave. leave. <laughs> it's I perfect. Think it makes me laugh every time. Patty it Harrison just, is on there. It just makes me deeply uncomfortable. I'm going to be <laughs> honest with you. I don't know oh, why. Uh, yeah, that's that's why it's called I Think You're to Leave because every <laughs> sketch is like some asshole who should shut up and, and <laughs> quit doubling down. <laughs> oh my god. I Although, can't keep up. There's so many shows on Netflix. <laughs> I just honestly, I just turn in to watch Peaky Blinders. I'm still in the last <laughs> season. And um, some documentaries, but no. that's I think uh, the last time I last thing I saw was All Quiet on the Western Front, and that was yeah. that was really good. Oh, um, uh, Patty Harrison is Ruthie on uh, Shrill. Yeah, okay. I love her. Yeah, she. Uh, yeah, she always plays like really cringy, awkward characters <laughs> extremely well. 
<laughs> so well. <laughs> uh, she was in that movie with Daniel Radcliffe is like the weird billionaire guy. And oh, The uh, Lost City? Yes. There's a bit yeah. part of that. That was actually... Cool. Uh, that movie's actually kind of cute. It's pretty fun. It's <laughs> it's not romancing the stone, but what is, really? <laughs> All right. So, uh, let's see. Oh, this is 1953. There's stuff that came out that year. Uh, I'll let you two go first. I have just uh well two movies in one book so you guys can go first after you i was gonna let you go first (laughs) oh okay uh well i um we talked about it so much already i don't feel like i really need to recommend how to million how to marry a millionaire but it did come out the same year so that is definitely one that i would um my other recommendation from 1953 is going to be um, Joe Mankiewicz did a version of Julius Caesar. Uh, it's pretty famous. It has Marlon Brando as Mark Antony. Um, just like a real who's freaking who of cinema in this. James Mason's in it. I mean, it's a Greer Garson, Deborah Kerr. It just like such an amazing cast. And it's actually my favorite Shakespeare is Julius Caesar, so this one was, for me, a lot of fun. Nice, nice. So I also was going to recommend How to Marry a Millionaire, but um, <laughs> well, I'll have you two know. know. That. I'll have you two know that's an episode uh, <laughs> for later in the season. I love that movie. It's so good. It's very good. <laughs> if um, you two want to jump on yeah. that one, yeah. have a whole Marilyn Monroe crew. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to write it for Marilyn Monroe, but we're going to yeah. her legacy. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, um, How to Marry a Millionaire, highly recommend. The other film I recommend is The Big Heat. It's directed by Fritz Lang. Uh, Gloria Graham is in it. And uh, what's that other guy's name who everyone loves? Um, uh, I, have to, I, have to, I have to just leave that name out for now. But yeah, so The Big Heat is a film noir. I highly recommend <laughs> if you're interested in that. And I had one other film in mind. Um well, okay, I'll bring up these two. Tokyo Story. Tokyo Story from Uzu. I recommend yeah, Uzu. this one. Yeah. And that's a very, it's a, it's a tender, sweet story. You might cry at the end, but I think it's worth it because the cinematography and the, the writing is so beautiful in that one. And the yeah. other film I recommend is Roman Holiday. <laughs> yeah, I have to. I have to. I have to. I was sweet. going to, but I knew someone else was going to, so I was like, I'll let that. <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> I mean, I'm a sucker for Gregory Peck, and <laughs> I have to recommend. So beautiful. So wonderful. Ugh. And uh, Audrey Heffern is in this too. They have such wonderful chemistry and it's a beautiful film. A little romantic comedy. So I have recommend these films. Alright. Uh, I'm a Audrey Hepburn might be my favorite actress and I forgot that movie came out this year. <laughs> and uh, we're, we aren't going to cover that that uh, that Hepburn movie. We're going to pr- cover the nun story because that one I think is pretty much almost perfect and no one ever talks about that one no one mm. ever talks about that one anyway so um my 1953 are um well one was how to marry a millionaire but uh <laughs> that's covered but the other one was the bigamist the idolapino movie mm. um alex no what's his name 
Alistair um, from Russo Files Unite. He recommended this movie to me. It's uh, about well, a guy who is a bigamist and has a second family. And uh, I don't remember much from it besides it. You can tell it's a, it's a cheap movie, uh, but it's a nice little noir uh, thriller type thing. It, it's 80 minutes long, so you're in and you're out. But I just remember I really, I just, uh, really enjoyed this uh, tight, short little movie. Cool. Nice. And the book is <clears throat> technically not published in 1953 but it's 1952 but that does that doesn't matter it's <laughs> the first african novel to be published in english outside of africa the mm. palm wine drunk uh, drinkard not drunkard by amos tutuola and it's mm. written in a very it's written kind of like uh how someone would tell like a like a like a myth or a folktale mm. and uh, so it's like this kind of meandering long story where there's that like it just kind of goes on and on and it goes off in tangents and it kind of will weave back into the main thing and go off again and it's this very distinct way uh, that's written that uh, Chinua Chepe, one of my favorite writers and people of the 20th century uh, who wrote um, Things Fall Apart, he hated Tutuola's writing style because he felt it would make Africans look primitive and uh, like lower if if the if their novels are written like a folktale. But I disagree with that because mm. uh, the two Tuola books are really good, and he he uh, he uh, produced like a, uh, a a number of novels, not that many. And uh, yeah, it's this book is kind of really important, has an important legacy. And uh, I feel Tutuola is not talked about nearly enough. So Uh, do you... Oh, sorry. (laughs) Oh, you go. I was going to ask, do you read Marlon James? Because that kind of sounds like um, Black Leopard, Red Wolf a bit. I have that in the sequel. And Mm -hmm. it's been one of those, like, I got to get to it at at some point. (laughs) (laughs) He has a really great podcast, too. Oh, I didn't know he had one. He, he and his editor have a podcast called Marlon and Jake Read Dead People, where they just talk about dead authors, and it's wonderful. Hmm. Yeah, check that out. Yeah, I just started listening to uh, Semi-Qualified Queens, the mm. show that's Juicebox and um, Cynthia Kiss from Canada, Drag Race. I'm way behind on Drag Race. The last season <laughs> I saw was when Jada won. So that was like three seasons oh. ago, and then All Stars Seven. Oh uh, yeah, well, that's the All Winners one. Yeah, yeah, that that was a great one. Excellent season. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah. I'll I'll get to there. Look, there's too much stuff out there. <laughs> yes. yes. All right. So for me, uh, stuff that I have coming up is again. Okay. Um. I'm on movies from hell a whole bunch. I think. What's happening? There we go. I'm on movies from hell a whole bunch. Uh, I'm supposed to do my John Waters episode. I think I uh, got postponed a while ago. I think it's gonna come back. I don't know if if we're gonna do it. If but anyway, I'm on that. I'm on that show a lot. I'm on a grind band like once a year, and uh, I write for Grumpire. I have a piece that I 
pitched uh, two years ago that I'm finally almost done with. Woo! Congratulations. Thanks. It's about a musical from the 40s that's a secret uh, punk movie. Oh, Uh, okay. That sounds fun. I need to know what this is. (laughs) Uh, It's a movie we talked about before. It is? Yeah. 1940? 1940s musical. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I think I know what it is now. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I have other stuff in in like down the pipeline. I'm working on working on a thing about Psycho and how it how it how it's the like the father of the baby and girly to weird mm-hmm. movies I deeply love that are like take like what like take the weirdness of Psycho but amplify it even more <laughs> and some other stuff. I have I uh, that's very I astute. Have, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and so there's that stuff, and uh, I have movie blogs that you can find I'll, they're in the links people know what they are if they listen <laughs> do you um, want me to d- give my plugs or yes alright well um, I also have a podcast it's called let's get weirding a dune podcast co-host Megan Sunday and I are reading our way through the dune series chapter by chapter and we are currently um, still pretty early on in God Emperor of Dune. We've actually made it to the fourth book, which I never thought would happen. But I also write for uh, The Spool. I will have a review of Yellow Jackets up this week. Uh, that's about all I have going on at the moment. I have, I think, one other episode of you coming up, Spencer. Yes. Uh, later in the uh, year. Uh, there's one set set for May to record one, yeah. oh, another one set for the summer that uh, I okay. think it's streaming. I have to double check that other one who's streaming. Okay. I can't remember. Yeah, I know I have a few podcast episodes with you. Um, writing wise, I just don't really have the time because I'm currently in film school, so I'm busy just making films, <laughs> and it's been taking a lot of my time. But I do have some ideas percolating my head right now because I, I was like i miss writing on my blog i do have a blog called film and vinyl and that's just where i keep a lot of my film reviews so yeah i've been debating getting back into writing when i have the time to so if i come up with an idea i'll definitely will post it on twitter for sure <laughs> yeah, uh grandpire is always is always open they, they're they have a pretty open policy for whatever yeah. okay yeah. yeah them and um i know I used to write for film cred for a little bit and uh yeah, but mainly it's mainly podcasting. So, yeah. but yeah, if I have something up, I'll keep y'all posted. Definitely, like when I do my little short projects, I try to post them up on Instagram once they're um, done with the quarter and everything. So, and uh, Bo, don't you have a couple novels out there? Uh, yeah, I have some novels out there. Uh, if you're into that kind of thing, a little more romancy. Um, you can find all my links at my website, which is bonorthrights.com. All right, perfect. Uh, the yeah. show's on Twitter. Oh, sorry. Our show is on Twitter um, at uh, Sister Sewer Rat. That is a reference to the Chusel and Preve character from Dark Habits, the mm-hmm. Molivar nun comedy. Cause all, all the nuns have silly names like Sister <laughs> Snake, Sister Manure. I think it, <laughs> no. I think in Spanish it's sister shit, but in English they say manure. Which I, sister shit is a better name. 
it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, so there we're on, and I'm on uh, Instagram under Veda Huff. That's a character from the Spike Lee movie She Hate Me. Not the CGI sperm. That's a different character. <laughs> 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 that picture always gives me a riot. <laughs> I still haven't seen the film either. Uh, don't watch it. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but every time I see that photo, I'll be like, I have to see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think seeing the movie would ruin the mystique of the photo for me. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, uh, Veda Huff is a character played by Q-Tip, the rapper from Tribe. Yes. Oh, okay. And he's barely in the movie. He has like, maybe <laughs> three scenes. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so you two, uh, wait, Bo, did you say your Twitter and all that stuff? At Bo North. And uh, I'm at Film and Vinyl on Twitter and Instagram. All right, perfect. Uh, thank you two for coming on and. Um, the next few episodes coming up, recording wise, are Johnny Guitar and then El Sir. Uh, I never heard of that movie until the guest told me about, told me he wanted that one. And then, uh, what's it called? Um, Arsenic and Old Lace. That will be with um, uh, Jake Lindbergh, who's a cool dude, and the band Rat Bath, who's a queer country punk band. Uh, from Milwaukee. They are rad as fuck. I love Very their music. Very cool. Nice. Uh, yeah. As of now, that, that they're set. They're on tour right now, so uh, you know, you never know. They might get sick or something. But as of now, that's the plan. And uh, yeah, that that's it for stuff coming up. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Right. You're welcome. And stop recording. Our theme music is by James Fell. Our logo is by Andrew Bargeron. You can find him as Jemetsko on Threadless, TeePublic, Redbubble, Shirt Woot Catalog, and T-Theory. That is spelled G-I-M-E-T-Z-C-O. You can find our show in previous seasons on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and other places where you can find podcasts.